consulting consulting group. Uh, but I think I will let you probably introduce yourself, like who are you, and tell us a little bit more about what you do as well. Want me to go first? Go for Either it. one. <laughs> Ben and go first. Uh, my name is Bree Nagley, and as you mentioned, I'm co-founder and consultant at MindChamp's Performance Consulting Group, and we work a lot with both individuals and teams uh, in everything that is sports psychology, sport consulting, whether it's team dynamics, leadership and character development, uh, strengthening mental performance skills, uh, really helping athletes and those pursuing health, wellness, fitness goals, really helping them reach uh, the goals that they're striving to reach uh, and help them just kind of really overcome any kind of mental, physical, emotional barriers uh, so that they can really achieve the goals that they're they're set out to do. And, and so that looks 8,000 different ways. Everything is very customized to who we're working with and what it is they're trying to accomplish, but that's probably a high-level overview. Um, and I'll let you guys kind of chime in on your part. Yep, I'll go next. Um, so I'm Nicole Turner, also one of the co-founders for MindChamps. Um, my background is mostly in corporate consulting. Um, I've also been a uh, competitive sports coach for 16 years. So this was like the best way to marry the two worlds together and have that like leadership and development piece and then the athletics piece. And so it really put my two favorite things together. So I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of different coaches and teams and athletes on how they can help improve um, not only the things on the field, but also off the field. So really fun for me to really kind of put all of those worlds together because I understand both the coach side of things and the team and the things that we struggle with. And then also the business side of things and really what organizations pain points are. So it's been fun to be able to work on both sides and help all of those groups really uh, meet their goals and strive for success. I'm last on Mark. Mark Clifford, um, also co-founder and consultant with the group. Uh, and really my background is military. I spent 20 years in the Air Force uh, as an officer. And what I found throughout my 20 years is what's really drawn me to success is understanding people and then helping them achieve their goals. And so a lot of that is with mentorship and guiding. And that's a lot of what we do in the military in terms of our leadership, our leadership ability, because all towards the same mission and goal. And I really learned a lot of that through being a, a student athlete. So I was an athlete at the Air Force Academy. Uh, I was a basketball player, and I realized I wasn't as good as basketball as I thought I was. Um, and then started on the boxing team. And when I was transitioning, I, I was introduced to our sport psychologist. Um, and he was really instrumental for me and helped me understand who I was as a person, how I set my own goals how I get mentally prepared for something like boxing where it is an individual sport and it is all about your performance um, and how you get yourself to that peak performance, not only mentally, but how that complements you physically. And taking that into my military career in terms of leadership and understanding that mental aspect was very instrumental for me in my success and be able to help others around me in the military achieve those goals and reach their peak performance also, whether it be physical or mental or even just with their military goals. So. Being able to, to link up with these two awesome ladies, uh, Bree and Nicole, to complement each other on the things that we do, I think is make us, makes us really impactful as a group. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a great team, especially with such different kind of backgrounds coming together. It sounds like they would complement each other really well. Uh, so today I wanted to kind of talk to you about self-talk because I 
No, that is something that you definitely use, you know, with your with your clients or with your athletes. So tell me a little bit more, kind of, what is your understanding of self talk, or maybe if someone doesn't really know what self talk is, maybe you can kind of explain a little bit more about what it is and and how you use it. Yeah, so Nicole and I were actually working with a bunch of soccer athletes last week, and this topic came up a lot. And the one thing we kept sharing is nobody talks to yourself more than you, right? You might have coaches and parents and teammates and people really screaming at you, giving you advice, or constantly talking to you about how you respond to that, how you talk to yourself, how you um, really pep yourself up, uh, can really make or break your success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next quote that we really kind of pushed immediately after that is, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. You know, we have so many, especially young athletes and, and people who are trying to overcome major barriers and obstacles in their athletic career, they're, they're constantly counting themselves as, well, I can't, or I'm still working on that, I, I suck at this, and, and it's, you know, when you're constantly feeding yourself those types of negative thoughts, negative perceptions, oh, you're really, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, like, at some point it's going to come true, if you think that you're never going to get there or never going to succeed, well, you're right, you just give yourself an excuse, you gave yourself an out, you, you just told yourself that it's okay to just kind of give up at that point, um, so we really worked with them a lot on shifting how they talk to themselves. You know, nobody's perfect. There's always room for improvement, but how you talk to yourself through that and how you coach yourself through, you know, being your best advocate and being the positive one when you might not have a ton of positivity around you uh, is really a skill. And it's not something you can flip on and off like a light switch. Like it has to be trained. It has to be intentional. Uh, and it, it really takes time to develop. And so that's kind of where we started. I'll have you guys kind of jump in from there too. Yeah, I'd say, um, so I coach mainly female athletes between 12 and 16, and that is like the perfectly awkward age where they second guess themselves all the time in general. Um, And I'd say that that's probably the number one I see both on the coach side and then even talking with other coaches and parents and players is just, they have kind of this analysis paralysis where they get into their head so much of like, well, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I miss? What if I fail? What if I do this and people are going to be mad at me. Is my coach going to be mad at me? Am I going to get taken off the field? And they start having all of these discussions with themselves in their head. And it's in the middle of a moment in which they should just be making a decision. Mm -hmm. So often you either see them make no decision at all, or they make the wrong one because they're so panicked that they don't give themselves enough time to actually make a choice. And then they end up turning the ball over or making a mistake on something that they very easily could have done had they just trusted in themselves and their capabilities. So I'd say especially in that middle age group, it's really something that we see they struggle with a lot. And that Mm -hmm. self-talk is something that comes up over and over again in team discussions with athletes, with parents, with other coaches, is how do we get these athletes to believe in themselves and to have those conversations where I'm going to make a choice and whether it's right or wrong, I made it and I'm going to believe in myself. And if it's not the right one, then I'm going to do better next time and learn from it rather than continue to be worried about what I did wrong or what people are thinking about whatever the choices that I made. Mm. Yeah. I would even compliment some of that with knowing and understanding those athletes. And so my background also, not only being a boxer, is I had the opportunity to go back and coach a collegiate boxing team for five years and, and out of those five years we made a national championship team i think when you find some of those athletes a little bit different because that age group is different than what nicole is talking about it starts when you're doing this self-talk in terms of preparing yourself for a competition i think a lot of times what i found with those athletes is that they they 
create their own barriers mm. for doing things that they need to do in order to prepare themselves in the gym. So, for example, in boxing, you have to do road work. You have to run and get your miles in. I was not a runner. I hated it. I absolutely despised it. But in my mind, I had to tell myself and I had to prepare myself for being able to go out there and do that road work. And same with student athletes, right? How do you talk yourself into doing something like that? And it could be something as looking at your competition. You know that maybe the the person that you're going to face in that next fight is out there on the road. So how do you positively get yourself motivated to get yourself on the road also? So it's it's in the preparation as well as the execution part is when we're in the competition. Like Nicole with soccer, you know, you're thinking about making this decision, just make a decision and go. Uh, And then be okay with that decision. In boxing, in a sport where it's, if you make a wrong decision, it, it can hurt physically. Um, uh, you have to talk yourself into being, making sure that you have done the things that you need to do in order to train. And then you self-talk yourself into the positivity of, I did the road work. I did the hours in the gym. I know I'm better than this, the guy that's come facing in the ring. And it's not to be cocky, but it's to be confident on the things that you've already done and you're already accomplished. And I think when we talk self-talk, it's about building that self-confidence with an individual so that they can go out and prepare and execute and, and max, maximize their performance in no matter whether it be dancing, whether it be soccer, whether it be boxing, that they're more prepared um, for whatever it is, it is that, they're, that they're achieving, that, that they're set, to, set their goals for. Yeah. I think that's also like something you said that, you know, we, we, it's kind of how we also kind of think about something because I, I see that a lot when I start talking about self-talk with someone who maybe haven't heard about it before. Of course, we all talk to ourselves, but they might not have heard the kind of concept of it. They always kind of say like, yeah, but I don't want to like say that I'm really good if I'm not good. But it's not about lying. It's about kind of finding that positive within that. So it's not saying like, I love running, let's go running. But if you hate running, it's more kind of like a, a way of saying, well, running is really good for me running takes me towards my goals or whatever you can kind of find that's that's um positive within that so it's not about lying but it's about finding the the good good parts of it i think yeah one thing i always tell athletes is you can believe in yourself or your excuses but there's no room for both right mm. so just like you mentioned you might not always love what it is you're about to do you might not be so excited to go running or you might know that there's things you need to work on, but what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself, I know I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to keep working. I know, you know, the victory is right around the corner. Like, are you telling yourself that it's possible and you can get there? Or are you telling yourself, well, I'm never going to be good at that because of my height or because of my size or whatever the case is. Um, and, and we really try and train the athletes. Like you, you can't believe in both the excuse and, uh, you know, what it is you're trying to accomplish like, and, and your goal. Like, you have to commit to one or the other and then attack and go get it. Mm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. What would you say is if you, I don't know if, if you feel there is a source to it, but do you feel that there's like a main source of like, if someone has very negative self-talk or where do you feel that it's coming from if someone has negative self-talk? All right. I'll answer first. I'm sure. Or, or, or. <laughs> yeah, you can all all just. Come yeah, in. you know, I, I think it's from different perspectives, and, and it's hard to say. And I'm sure, Bree, you know, from a, I'm by no means a medical doctor, so I don't know, you know, from the medical side, psychology side. But um, I personally think that it's it's something that when people focus on their weakness, and that becomes an obstacle for us to talk negatively about ourselves. 
just like Nicole, uh, excuse me, Bree's example about an athlete that says, well, I'm too short in order to be good at this. Well, they're focusing on an attribute that they think is a weakness, and that's the core of their negative talk versus the positive self-talk on, I may be short, but I'm good at X, Y, and Z, and focusing it on those other attributes that they're really good and they're really skilled at, and they put the time and effort into. Uh, I have two sons, and one of them's a little bit shorter, and he's always said that before in his past, too. Well, I'm too short to do this. And I always bring up examples, for example, in basketball of, this, of the short athletes that do really well um, at other parts of the game. You don't have to be a, a seven-foot basketball player in order to be good. There's, there's athletes that are five-foot ten, five-foot seven that are really great basketball players. So I think a lot of that comes from us as humans that find and pick on ourselves on those negative attributes, and we, and we focus on that versus focusing on the things that we're really good at. Mm. Yeah, and I think coming from mostly a team sport background, I try and explain how all of the pieces fit together, right? Like we're like a puzzle and the team has to have different pieces. If we all have the same piece or several of the same piece, then we don't actually make the full picture. And so if I don't have different types of players or people who have different skill sets, that doesn't help us be successful overall. But even with your individual athletes, and Mark's example of running, like he can either frame it as, I hate running, I'm not a runner, I don't feel like I'm good at running, or I'm gonna go run so that I get better, so that when I'm in the ring, this is what I can accomplish. So I think it's just reminding yourself that you're not gonna be great at everything because none of us are. Like there is nobody who is perfect in all aspects in any sport, whether it's individual or team, but you bring something to the table that you can share with others and that you have gifts that you you like already have as an athlete and then those things that you have areas of opportunity are just places to grow but they shouldn't be like mark said something that you're focusing on where it's but i'm not this i don't have this i can't do this because that self-talk is going to continue to repeat and you're not going to grow so i think it's really focusing on what you do bring and then how you can continue to grow the things that you don't feel as strong in yeah yeah, I agree. I mean, just to compliment what they both said, um, social comparison is huge, and especially some age demographics more than other. But whether you're an individual or a team sport, uh, that's one thing we heard a lot last week was, well, they're comparing themselves to the best player in the room or the most experienced or the oldest or the college athletes who are coaching these schoolgirls. So, you know, sometimes it's just making sure we have fair expectations on ourself. No one went from novice to professional overnight. No one even did that within a year. So it's kind of setting appropriate expectations, making sure you're fair, you give yourself a little bit of grace with meeting those goals. Um, and this sort of comparison piece, it's just hard. Like it, it's really hard, especially for, you know, that teenage or young adult population. Um, you know, Mark's point, that's where they really start pointing out their deficiencies. It's like, well, this is where I'm not contributing or this is where I'm weak. This is what I don't have. And then to Nicole's point, we can't all be the same puzzle piece. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a, a room and a spot um, for each person and their gifts and what they have. And if you shift that that self talk to what you are bringing to the table, that's when you're the strongest asset to the team. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's yeah. yeah. many. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. No, you're halfway through. Keep going. <laughs> no, I just like I think it's hard too, especially with that. Um, youth or college athlete in that space, they're still getting that self-talk from outside sources. You know, as we become adults, we typically have a lot more self-talk within ourselves because we're not really having those outward conversations. And then when you get to that 
pro level or that higher elite level, really it's more internal than external. But unfortunately with youth, like high school, college, that age, they're hearing it from their players, their teammates, their parents, their coaches. Like as a coach, I know that I do everything I can not to well, look at so-and-so, they're ahead, who's going to catch up. But And sometimes you try and use it as a motivation, but you might catch that one person where they're like, well, I'm never going to be where Brie is. I can't do what she's doing. And so it's one of those things that unfortunately, even when you're trying to do the right thing, it can come off the wrong way. And so I think that unfortunately, that's also a source of that negative self-talk is when we're comparing people just by doing it as a way to inspire, it can always have the opposite effect. And even when mm -hmm. parents are like, did you see so-and-so's goal or did you see so-and-so's running or blah, blah, blah. Like it sets the tone that, well, then you're saying I didn't have that or I didn't do that. So then naturally I'm not good. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to, and that's perfect. And that's exactly what I was going to say is the circle that we have around us, it's harder when you're younger because you have to have parents, right? Your parents are there. Your parents are the ones that drive you there. You're going to have a coach um, that's going to motivate you in different ways. And I think that's why this conversation is so important for not only the student athletes or the young people, but also parents and coaches that are listening because it's about knowing and understanding how you motivate those young people to be better mm -hmm. and how you motivate them. Like Nicole said, that I'm not comparing you to Bree. Um, but I just want you to recognize what Brie did and let's work on it on, on how we can maybe do something similar. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's, it's the entire ecosystem around the athlete um, to help them understand what they're talking about and how they talk to themselves to self-motivate, to keep all that external stuff external because it is, especially at that age, right? There's other people that like to, that you're not wearing the right jeans. It's like, I don't know why that, jeans with holes in them are a thing now. I had to put my own holes in my jeans when I was a kid. Uh, but you don't have the holy jeans, but Nicole does. So, you know, there's certain things that we have to keep external away from the student athletes and, and to make, make sure that we are meeting our peak performance um, as, we, as we introduce the mental toughness and the mental performance because it, so much has to complement what we do physically. Yeah. And what, so I know for sure in my followers, I have a lot of parents, uh, maybe most parents. <laughs> um, so what would be your advice? Because I think the thing is with parents, they all want to do the best, but sometimes they maybe just don't know what the best is. So they will kind of, you know, motivate, for example, like Nicole said, by saying, oh, look how well she did. And then you kind of hope that it, it will motivate. So what would be your kind of advice to parents? How do they motivate in the, in a way that it, they they kind of get away from that comparison and focusing on weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I, yeah. Let me. Yeah. I'll yeah. You're first parent, Mark, go on. Yeah. You go on. I was gonna say, Mark, you go on because you've got the kids in sports <laughs> and you've got the coach side and the dad side and like take it away. Yeah. You know, as because I grew up in sport um, and my dad wasn't one that coached me, uh, but I love sports so much that I wanted to coach my kids and I did. Um, for a very long time. And what I've recognized that I know them best, um, even better than they know themselves, especially when they're younger, uh, mm -hmm. young teens. And what I've realized is how to motivate one each. I have two boys uh, almost two years apart, and they are very different on how they receive motivation. And what I found is a lot of times that I would be the dad that would, after a football game, uh, when we got to the car, it's the nature of a coach sometimes to point out the negative more so than the positive, just like we do as teachers, just like we do as parents sometimes. 
and I recognized that luckily when, when they were the 10, 10 and 12, but they didn't work receiving that, that comparison and that negative pointing out the things that they didn't do. So I had to switch mentally for, as a parent to go a, for my older son, leave him alone. He's ultra competitive. And if he knows if he made a mistake in a football game, for example, he knew it. I didn't have to say anything to him uh, in terms of that. But my younger son, he would, he would accept criticism and he would accept that he didn't do something. And then he would talk about what he should have done, which is really what I wanted them to do is recognize mm-hmm. that. So I think for parents, you know, my best advice would be first and foremost, understand how your kids receive feedback and then have those conversations with your, with your son or daughter on what that means when you have those conversations. Right after a game, whether it be a win or a loss, it may not be the best time to have those conversations to reflect on what just happened. Um, some kids are great at that. Some kids aren't. Some kids need that time to, to decompress, and then they'll reflect on it later. Um, and then you have to approach it from a, from a parent more so than a coach. Because I, what I found is that I, I will approach it as a coach versus a parent. Um, having compassion, understanding that, that it's tough, understanding that they – you know, they may feel responsible for um, something that was negative during the game. Um, so, I, you know, being able to recognize that and change that conversation and motivate them in a different way, I think, uh, it is the best way to approach that. Mm-hmm. I used yeah. to work under a sports psychologist, and he was so adamant when talking to parents. He's like, you have three jobs. When your kid gets in the car... You, you can say one of three phrases. I love you. I'm proud of you. You have fun. But like, that's it. That is where you stop. And you better start with those three words. But if they want to talk about what happened and, and what went wrong and what they're upset about, then you open the door for that conversation. But you always start with, like, I, I, I love you. It's unconditional. and has nothing to do with that performance. His biggest thing was always, no kid, no human wakes up in the morning saying, I really hope I blow this performance today. Like, nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to do bad. Nobody's like, oh, I just don't care. I'm just going to give up on this one today. Like, everyone wants to go out there and succeed and be the best and thrive and, and grow. So, obviously, you know, these kids are going to be ultra hard on themselves when things don't go right or don't go perfect. So, how parents and coaches complement that is really critical. I don't, I, I agree and I believe with kind of that hands off, I love you, I'm proud of you, you know, you have fun. But I also know the reality that most parents can't just do that and shut up. <laughs> They're going to want to talk a little bit about the performance, right, Mark? <laughs> so yes. I always talk about the Oreo effect, where if you're going to have that conversation, you start with the positive, you start with what went well, what you're proud of, what you saw in them, whether it was a good, bad, or ugly performance, you know, what really went well. Then you kind of sneak in like, hey, so what, what happened here? Or what were you thinking? How did that make you feel? What was going on? What did your coach say? You kind of sneak that stuff in the middle, but you always want to bring it back to the positive when you conclude. So, you know, so where do we go from here? What are you going to work on in practice next week? You know, and, and really try and inspire and motivate them to get after it and really make improvements in that area. But the one thing that will always lose me is like, no one ever wakes up saying <laughs> Yeah, like really hoping this one doesn't go well because I love that criticism. <laughs> no one says that, and, and I think parents just need to understand. Like, for kids don't want to have that conversation any more than you do. Like, they want to be successful, so motivating them to persist and keep trying, and that you're there to support them 
no matter what, like I think that's cute, especially the younger they are. Um, I think that's a huge component to getting them to persist, you know, beyond youth athletics. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's perfect timing because I have parent meetings tonight with two of my teams. So I have a huge section just on this actual topic. Um, I think that 16 years of watching this and like still watching it every day, every week, like one of the best questions you can ask your kid is how do you feel about what happened? Cause really they're coming to you cause they expect you to tell them what they did, but turning it back so they can reflect back how they feel. Well, how do you feel the game went or how do you feel you did allows them that space to just share their thoughts and their feelings, which at the end of the day, as parents, like that's what you really want anyway, is for your kid to have that open channel of communication Um, I also think it's important for parents to remember that even if they were a coach or even if they played this sport, they're not that coach. So you don't know what I'm instructing them to do. You don't know what I've told them on the sidelines or, hey, I might have adjusted something and asked them to do something different. And you're not aware of that. So a lot of times I ask the parents to put them back on me. Well, did you talk to coach about this and this or if you don't think you did well on that, why don't you ask coach what you could have done differently? Like put it back on me so that I can have that conversation with them. That not only empowers them to feel like they can have a conversation with their parents, but also they learn how to have a conversation with me because the more that we can direct athletes back to their coaches to learn that their coach is somebody that they can talk to and trust and feel comfortable with, the better that will be as they get higher up. Because as you become more elite, you have to be able to have those conversations with your coach because you're going to have some really great ones and you're going to have some really tough ones. And it's really important that you understand early on that they're the person who really wants the best for you too. That's why you're on my team. Um, I also think that the 24 hour rule should apply to conversations at home. Cause like you cannot approach me as the coach for 24 hours after a game period, end of story. Um, Some coaches even have 48 hours where parents cannot speak to them about anything that they have a problem with for 48 hours. So why would you not treat your kids the same? You don't need to unload on them right after a game if it didn't go way you thought. Give them that space. Have a discussion the next day over dinner or breakfast or whatever that looks like. But give yourself that space away so that emotions are no longer in it and it's just a conversation. So I think that really parents need to remember that even if they are someone who played at a professional level, that's not where this kid is. That's not where this team is. That's not where this moment is. And often I see, unfortunately, parents who were professional athletes in other sports try and relate it. And it doesn't like if you were a pro golfer, you know, nothing about your 13 year old daughter's soccer team. Doesn't, it doesn't equal like equate at all. So trying to tell her what worked for you isn't the same thing. So give your kid the space to be themselves. And the more you can ask how they feel about their performance or how they feel about they, how they did, it gives them that space to have that conversation about their feelings and their thoughts. And then use the coach as a positive resource because I love when kids come to me. I even had one come on Thursday after training and she said, you know what? I just want to tell you, I didn't do my best today. And so we had a full conversation about how she felt why she didn't feel she did her best, what we can do going forward so that she does feel like she's motivated and pushing herself. But this is a 12-year-old girl coming to me after training and saying, I just want to apologize that I didn't do my best because her dad has created that space Mm. for her to come to me and say those things rather than going home and being upset. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it, I think it boils down really right. It's that the, the student athlete or the, the, the child that comes off the field or the court except wants to come back and talk with their loving parent, right? And, and, and when it boils down, that's who we are. We're, we're their parent first. Um, and then if they want us to be the coach and they want us to be the advisor, they want us to be the counselor, right? Then we become that secondary. Um, so all the things that they said is exactly right. When they come off that field and it's a crummy game or a great game, they want to know that mom and dad, like what Bree said, hey, I love you. Great job. Whether it was a great job or not, we tell them it's a great job, right? <laughs> um, but I think that's what it really kind of boils down to for mom and dads is to be a mom and dad first. And then if you have that relationship with your son or daughter where you can talk about the game and talk about those things, then that comes second after being uh, being that mom or dad first. Yeah, it's it's almost like... And I think this is what is kind of also so important. And I think that's kind of what you, what you said as well, that is that awareness of what's your role. You're not the coach. So maybe don't become the coach because even though you kind of want to help and maybe you think you can and you saw something and if if you don't believe that the coach are able to, to do that, then there's a problem with the trust in the coach maybe, but that's a different different story. <laughs> and of course, in some sports, you don't choose your coaches. But like, for example, in dancing that I work with a lot, we choose our own coaches. So choose a different coach than if you if you don't have faith in them yeah you know, and Nicole could probably attest to this better than than anyone but the worst thing a parent could do is create that rivalry between parent coach and immediately go home and contradict everything coach says yeah. and talk about how they're not equipped to do the job and and feed that into their kids mind because you want to talk about who's feeling the negative self-talk well now you have a kid maybe 12 15, 16 years old going into practice and it's like, well, do I listen to what my parents are telling me to do or do I listen to my coach? Like, who's going to give me playing time? Who do I have to listen to in the car after a game? And it's, you know, talk about stress and anxiety and self-talk. Like, that is a recipe for early termination of your career. Like, those kids will not make it very far um, because that is just too much for any little human to handle. Uh, so really promoting a healthy relationship. And like you said, there, there are some areas where you get to choose your coach and others where you don't. Uh, but it's, you know, if there's going to be such a, a rivalry there, then you need to find a better fit for your kid. As a parent, that's what you do have control over. Find a better fit for your kid. Um, if it's, if it's just not working out and you only have a bad coaching situation, but put your kid in that position to say, I don't my, my dad's telling me to fix this this technique, my mom's telling me that, and my coach is telling me something way over here, like that is emotional distress times 10. Mm. And do you Mark, use... Mark, have you done that? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of course, it's a challenge if you are the coach and the parent at the same time, then you have to kind of wear different hats and it, it becomes it becomes a different challenge. But but for most people, I suppose that's not the, that's not the case. Um also i think it's interesting because we talked about this kind of focusing on the positives instead of, instead of focusing on the negative but i think the, the difficult thing with sports and i think it's really in all sports is that we're kind of programmed to focus on the negative because we have to see what can we improve what can we make better what should we focus on and we can't constantly focus on on what we need to improve on and also of course most sports the kind of premise of the sport is comparison because you're competing against other people so it's hard to get that get that mindset changed do you have any kind of techniques that you use for so if there's someone thinking sitting there and thinking i want to change to positive self-talk how do they how would they do that 
I, so that, that's a very real thing, like you mentioned. You're going to hear more negative than you do positive, and that's because it's a survival technique, right? Mm-hmm. You need to know what's in your surrounding, what you can do to improve, how you can get bigger, better, stronger, and you need that constructive con- con- uh, criticism in order to improve and grow within your sport. You know that's going to be there. The tougher thing is that the older you get, the more constructive criticism you're getting. Uh, the less high fives, the less ribbons, the less trophies. <laughs> starts to dwindle as you get older and at that point like you are really very responsible for the positive self-talk and being your own cheerleader and really promoting yourself and your own self-confidence because no one's going to do that for you i remember i was a a college athlete and get a high five from the coach i was like i didn't know what to do with myself because you're always getting told what's wrong and what you need to fix and how you could be better and and killing it and having a great game was like the expectation you really have to go above and beyond and do something spectacular, get a good job or a high five. And if you're 100% dependent on that positive feedback and that positive reinforcement, it's going to get tougher and tougher as you get older. And so that's where you really just need to understand the sooner you can start to train yourself to think positively, um, to look for the positive, whether you had a good, bad, ugly game, but look for the positive and really celebrate the small victories along the way. Um, that's one of the best skills you could develop young. I think one of the most simplest techniques, as basic as it is, is just journaling. And I don't mean like full diary entries, but at the end of every night, like what were the three best parts of your day? And it doesn't have to be about your sport necessarily. It could be about school, work, life, family, but what were the three best parts of your day? And if you do that every single night before bed, one, it gives you a positive self-image right before bed, so it kind of helps release some of that last-minute stress and anxiety that's built up throughout the day. But two, it also gets you scanning the world for the positive as opposed to the negative. So when you've had a lot of negative in your day, a lot of coaching and feedback, it gives you a chance to say, well, here's three things I'm really proud of. And when you celebrate those small victories and you get used to looking for the positive, you'll see that those, those positive affirmations start from maybe what seems kind of small. They're going to start getting bigger and bigger and bigger over time and then when really exceptional things do happen you just you can't help but get excited about that whether anyone else is praising you for it or not you tell yourself like this is my moment to just be happy and excited mm-hmm. i think one of the techniques we used to use um for boxing well it's almost right it, you get in a room and you're around your, your buddies and um if they don't make fun of you right then there's there's a problem uh, it's same thing with boxing and, and, and practice. Uh, I'm not going to give you a high five. I'm not going to tell you how great it was that you hit that, that heavy bag. Um, because you're right. A lot of times the coaching is, is identifying the things that you're not doing well to help you identify so that you can improve on it so that you can get better. Um, so if you're not getting any feedback from me as a coach, because I'm not going to give you a, a, a ton of high fives, especially at the collegiate level, um, that's a positive thing. Um, in the, in the ring, we, film, we do a lot of filming. And so one of the things I used to tell our athletes is on the film, yes, as we're watching it together, I'm going to point out some things that you probably could have improved on. But what I want you to do is take mental note of the things that you do really well. And, and as you go through every competition, as you look at every film and the things that you start really creating in your own mind, the things that you're doing really well, mm-hmm. and when it comes to training, that becomes almost automatic that it's, I'm doing the positive things more and more often because I'm no longer thinking about it. I've already told myself that this was good. So I'm going to continue to do that really well. I think the compliment what Bri is saying, that's how you almost um, continue to grow and at least 
the positive mental self-talk is identifying those things that you're really doing well at. Mentally take note if you're not writing them down because then all, all of a sudden it becomes part of our routine, a part of our regimen, part of our training um, that, that makes us accentuate and, and really build on those things that are positive anyways. Mm. Yeah, we do, um, we do journaling actually with our athletes. So my teams uh, each week have to fill out like a worksheet and then they turn it into me for feedback um, every week. So whether we have a game or not, we're usually doing some type of prompts and it might be something as simple as like, tell me about a quote that motivates you or watch a game, whether that's your brother's sisters, professional, whatever, and tell me what you saw or what did you notice? So like, um, but it's the same thing. And after games, I always ask, you know, what were the things you were most proud of? How are you feeling about the game? And what are two things that you want to work on and how will you work on them for the next game? And it helps them to start that conversation. Cause obviously like Mark and Bruce have said, as a coach, I'm not only going to show the positives because then they don't know what they need to work on but finding that balance and helping them learn how to do that for themselves um, is really, really important. And I know that at halftime, I, I like, I think maybe eight years ago, I kind of started implementing where it's not my time to talk. It's their time to talk. So at halftime, I'll ask them, tell me what's working. And they raise their hand and they tell me and then, okay, so tell, and tell me what's not working and what we can do to fix it. And they tell me, and if, by some chance they missed something on either side that I think is important, I'll interject it. But 99% of the time, they say what I would have said anyway, but it's coming from them as a group and as leaders instead of from me, because it doesn't really matter what I'm seeing. It matters what they're seeing and what they feel. And I feel like that's been something that's been really helpful for me is teaching them those moments and teaching them how to have a voice and what they're feeling is working and not working. And like, what can we do as a group to adjust that? And it also becomes more about accountability too. And having those conversations as a group allows them to start that next half or that next part of the game with some positivity and some type of action plan. So now they're going into that situation with that self-talk of, I'm gonna go out there and do this, or I'm really gonna focus on this, or this was working really well, I'm gonna keep that up. And it just seems to kind of set the right tone rather than me giving them a two or three minute speech where I'm just talking at them and then they go, okay. And then like, that's the end of that. Yeah, and also... Yeah, yeah, I think with... Okay, sorry, yeah. No, I was going to say with Nicole's example, I think the great part about that is that uh, when, when the athlete realizes that they can recognize that, it builds their own self-confidence. Yes. And when you have some kids that come out of halftime with a bigger boost to their confidence because they didn't just get the rah-rah speech from coach, but it was more something that I recognized and coach reinforced that, then that really helps build with that positive positivity that A, I understand really what I'm doing out there, and B, I know what I need to do in terms of an athlete to make our team better and hopefully get this way. And I think with you know with Nicole's example of how to reinforce through that self-talk and that positivity also leads to self-confidence, and then the students in their own mind have that confidence to go out and be better when they get on the field. Mm. Yeah, that's that's exactly my point. Well, done. Uh, great mind sync. <laughs> but also, oh, you know of course you do. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I think it's it's great for confidence. Also, it creates that mindset of of already thinking in that way, which helps them in practices. And and also, I think the motivation to change is is different when when it's coming from yourself instead of from someone telling you to do something. So, so that's that's a great advice. So. Um, the last kind of question that I, I tend to ask people is always if you can give some kind of advice. So if there's like, obviously there are many athletes watching or 
you know, in different, different sports? And do you have some kind of advice, not necessarily just on self-talk, but maybe just advice in general to like young athletes that you can use from your experience within sport yourself or from sports psychology um, that they can kind of use. So you would like to pass on to them. I would say my biggest piece of advice, especially given COVID-19 and the pandemic and the situation that we're in, is control the controllables. I think young athletes especially get very fixated on things 1,000% outside of their control. Uh, they get upset and flustered and emotional about things that they can't fix overnight. I can't fix social distancing and what countries are doing to combat the pandemic. I don't know you know, when training is going to get back to normal, uh, the way we want it to be. Um, but what you can't control is your attitude, your effort, your energy level, and what you're putting in and whether or not you want to think creatively about how you can address the situation and make sure you're continuing to grow and not just pausing everything because the pandemic's going on. Uh, I, I think that that is one of those critical pieces that will make or break a short versus long-term career in athletics or performance is, you know, how well you can accept just like controlling the controllables uh, and even in team sports, you know, with the soccer, like Nicole coaches, you could, you can get so flustered about, you know, who coach is playing and where and, and what decisions they're making as a coach. And you can let that run your day and ruin your life and, and just real flustered about it. Or you can sit back and say, well, what can I do in this situation? How can I work harder? What conversations can I have? Uh, to really try and work to improve myself and, and how do I attack this situation um, being more solution focused as opposed to dwelling on the emotion of things that I can't think anyway. Um, but I think that's that's one thing that's been coming up a lot just with everything that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my, my biggest advice to, to all athletes is have self-discipline and be honest with yourself. What I found a lot in boxing was um, young athletes that would come in and think they're really good, but they never put in the time or the effort to be really good. Um, so, A, they didn't have the selfless discipline to wake up in the morning, get that road work in, or put in 100% effort when they're down in the gym and when you have time to be around coaches and take advantage of the sparring. Um, and then they had this, and then they weren't honest with themselves and why they lost. Well, I lost because, well, you lost because you didn't put that time and effort, you weren't self disciplined to do it. And I think, you know, my kids too, right? They had that, hey, I'm really good at basketball, but we went out and shot, and this is the first time you shot in a week, and now you're mad because you're missing. You didn't put the time and effort in to be better for the entire time. So those, that's my advice to any student athlete, and they really want to improve. Have the self-discipline to do what you want to do, especially after you set your goals, right? If you want to be an elite athlete, then you have to be self-disciplined to put in the training, and you have to be honest with yourself. Just like Nicole's young student did, right? Hey, I didn't give you my best effort today. Be okay in saying that. And then how do you motivate yourself to make sure that you do give your full effort that next time? So that would be my advice to any, any athlete. Um, I think mine would be to always be growing. Um, whether that's, you know, watching game film, watching game footage, um, going up to your coach and asking what more you can do, going up to your teammates. Like, I think a lot of times people forget that their teammates are some of their best resources. Hey, you're really good at this. Can you show me how to do that? Like, always be challenging yourself to learn new things, to grow, to try things. Try something in a game and be okay to fail miserably. Like, do what you can to continue to push yourself to grow. Because just like Bree said, that's something you can control. I can control my effort, my attitude, what I'm doing, what I'm trying. And then like Mark said, like, 
holding myself accountable for continuing to push myself, not just when it matters, when I'm at practice, when people are watching me, but what am I doing when I'm not at practice, when I'm at home, when I have time off, my doing running, extra touches, extra throws, whatever that looks like, you know, dancers spending hours in front of the mirror, making sure that their like technique is perfect. Like whatever that looks like for you, it's more than just what you do when you're supposed to, but what you're doing outside of that so that you're continuing to grow as a person, as an athlete, just in general, I think the more you can challenge yourself to grow, the better you're going to be overall, whether you continue to move on to those high levels or as you go into adulthood or something different in your life, when you make that transition, if you've learned that, like that challenge and that hunger to grow, I think that just sets you up for success in everything that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, great advice. I think if, If they can implement all of that, I think they're definitely the way to success. It's a good advice. So thank you so much for coming and talking about self-talk. I'm sure there are lots of good advice, both for athletes, but also some really good advice, I think, for, for parents or for co and for coaches as well there. So thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, by the way, if, if people want to connect with you and they want to follow you a little bit more, where can they, where can they connect with you on, on kind of social media and, and all these things? Our social media handle right now, I would say Instagram is probably the most popular, but at MindCamps LLC uh, is our social media handle. Our website is www.mind-camps.com. And our general email, if anyone has questions or just wants to connect, is info, um, I-N-F-O, at mind-camps.com as well. Perfect. I think definitely go and follow because I think the more information you get about sports psychology, uh, the better really. And of course, uh, also implementing it is really important. But thank you so much for coming, all three of you. Thank you. Thank, thank you.